foundations. And uh, we keep ordering a few more at a time. And the books that we thought were coming in next week actually got here early. So they're here this morning. I think there's a few more copies left on the table. If you haven't got one, please pick one up. If you don't like paper and you want to use digital, they're, uh, I think, 10 bucks, right? 10 bucks on uh, Amazon.com. You can get it for your Kindle. Uh, it's really awesome. And uh, so just whatever way is best for you, get one. Because how many of you know if we're going to take a 13-week journey, hopefully 13 weeks, I'll try to really limit myself to one core value per week, but don't, but, but don't believe a word I'm saying because we've already spent two weeks on God is good. So, you know, there you go. But, you know, to be in something together and walking through something, not just on our own. Like sometimes we read a book or we listen to podcasts on a cer- certain topic or something, and that's good. I mean, we all want our own personal growth. But if we're doing something together, how many of you know it adds not only greater value to us, but we get to then bounce things off other people. And so we've created something here in the, in the church over these next 13 weeks where our foundations class on Sunday morning with Kathy Bellavia, she is, the, is, a, is a teacher and she's awesome at, at, at bringing forth uh, supernatural teaching to us. And so the, the same topic and the core value that we're going to talk about on Sundays, we also are going to talk on, on 9 o'clock hour, the foundations hour. The women on Monday night, the LOL group on Monday night is also going to be on the same core value. The men on Tuesday, the same core value. And our youth, when they're up there, and the kids in children's church, all on the same core value. So it's, there's a powerful part about being together in community and in family. And uh, I know for the Abbots, you know, I got four kids, some in youth groups, some in children's church. And, you know, what an opportunity for us as a family to discuss the same thing, right? The same topic, the same core values, and how did that affect you guys, et cetera, et cetera. And so just a, a tremendous opportunity. I encourage you to get that book and be a part of this awesome 13-week journey. Uh, last week, we started in on this, the, the, the first uh, message in the series, and we talked about culture, because the name of the book is Kingdom Culture, and the name of the series is that, and how important culture is, and what does that really mean? And I, I'm not going to go all into that again, this, because I want us to move on into the, the, the core value of God is good, but I encourage you to go back, and if you weren't here, and you didn't get a chance to listen to it or be a part on the podcast, it's on our website, it's on iTunes, and just get a chance to listen to that and the importance of culture. But one of the things we're trying to do here is not just have church. Anybody say amen? (laughs) It's not just the time to get together and have some religious thing. We actually want to create something here in Gurnee and in this region that is, God has given us this mandate to be bigger than who we are, than what we are, right? It's so fun. I've had a chance uh, since the Danny Silk uh, event that we had a, f- a few weeks back, there's a couple of churches that are like-minded with us that are they're small congregations, but there's two of them in Libertyville that I didn't really know too much about, and one of them I n- didn't even know existed. And I actually had lunch with that guy this week, and he and I connected, and we did the Panera thing, and we hogged a booth for three hours, <laughs> right? Just, you know, spilling into each other's life. And, and it was so fun because God has given us a regional mandate that we are to be an apostolic revival center for the region, right? So how cool is it that we're beginning to touch base and, and to uh, have, we're going to, in fact, let me just stop for a second. We're going to be doing three different uh, regional 
revival nights at this church once a month for the next three months. And what we're going to do is just invite any other churches that want to come and be a part of this in our region. We're going to bring in a, uh, some bands, like worship bands from other locations and, and guest speakers from some of these different churches and, and just really bring a thing where we come together as a region going after revival. And so we're going to be a part of that, and it's, it's really going to be fun. But it's part of the culture that God wants to create in us that then spreads on a wider scale to those around us. Amen? And so the culture part of it, I encourage you to, to listen to that from that last week. But let me just give you the definition of culture from the Merriam-Webster Dictionary. Culture is this, the set of shared attitudes, values, goals, and practices that characterize an institution or an organization. In other words, as we begin to go through these 13 core values, what we're really trying to accomplish is that we all get on the same page, right? We all begin to uh, live and breathe the same supernatural things. And oftentimes, when you put voice to something or you write it down, it actually creates more power. It's one of the reasons why I encourage you to take notes every Sunday, you know? Because I know this. When I listen to a sermon or if I listen to a podcast or some teaching of some kind, if I don't write stuff down, how many of you know... It can be gone within, you know. <laughs> How many of you forget stuff on a regular basis? Anybody? <laughs> Some of you older folk? Okay. Some of us older folk? <laughs> I'm not kidding you. I have to write almost everything down. Otherwise, you know, it's that kind of <laughs> like a mist almost. You know, you try to go back and remember and you, you know, you're like, you know it's kind of gone. See, we don't want that to be the case. We want life and truth to get into our spirit so that it stays there and it gets a chance to germinate, right? So I just want to encourage you with that. Words are powerful and attitudes are powerful, and I just want us to be uh, the culture that God has created us to be. In fact, in the book Kingdom Culture, he says this, right at the beginning, actually, on page two. He says, a healthy kingdom culture enables people to live in peace, meaning, and prosperity, rightly connected to God and to one another. And that really is our goal, isn't it? We want this thing to not just be another church. We want it to be a, a kingdom culture that permeates this whole region. Amen. So the first one that we want to look at is the, is the idea of God is good. Now, we've talked about and said the phrase God is good a lot over the last few years around here. If you've been in this place, you know what I'm talking about. We, we just believe God is good. One of the songs we sing a lot is, you're a good, good father. You know, these kind of, this idea that God is, is good. And in fact, even in churches, it goes back many years, right? We'll say, God is good, and then people say, and then the pastor says, and all the time, God is good. Now, how I many you know it's more than just a trite phrase that churches say, right? He really is good. He really is good. And one of the things that's awesome about using this Kingdom Culture book that I'm going to encourage you to get in your hands is it's filled with verses. I mean, it's almost, almost too much Scripture in one, in one setting for a week because they really want to make sure that it's grounded in the Word of God. And so this week, as you read through this first chapter and you go into God is good, just encourage you to get the verses into you and get the, the Word of God into your spirit. But one of the things that, with the idea of God is good, is that there are, there are actually obstacles and enemies of that truth. How many of you know the devil does not want you fully believing that God is good? 
right? So Satan shows up in the garden at the very beginning, and what does he do with Eve? And, and he starts to cast doubt into the Word of God. And so what does he say? Did God really say? Da, 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 right? The devil is always going to try to cast doubt in your mind that, of, of not only his Word, but especially in this area of the goodness of God. Because if he can get you to believe that the goodness of God is not something to be trusted, in other words, that God isn't really good all the time, He's only good some of the time to those Christians and believers that act and perform correctly. Like this is a huge lie that he likes to bring. So a couple of the, we're not going to get to all of these enemies of truth that God is good, but let me just give you a couple this morning. The first one is this, that one of the greatest enemies of truth that God is good is promises or prophecies that have delayed fulfillment right? So, how many of you have ever had a prophetic word spoken over you, right? And we'll start with this, that have come true. How many of you had a prophetic word that has actually come true, okay? Many hands, maybe, yeah, half of us, right? But how many of you ever had a prophetic word or something spoken over you, and it hasn't come true yet, right? So, about the same amount of hands. See, the thing about God is, the Bible is very clear that God has his own time frame on things, right? That his ways are not our ways. That's the old, the old joke, the guy's with God and he says something to the effect of, hey God, you know, you know what is time like to you? And God says, well, time, you know, a, 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 a minute is like a thousand years to God. And the guy says, wow, that's great. He says, well, what is... Uh, what is, uh, what is a million dollars to you? And God says, well, it's like a cent. One cent is like a million dollars. And the guy says, he goes, hey, God, can I have a cent? God says, in a minute. <laughs> right? So our thinking and God thinking this isn't always the same. But how many of you know that when God says something... It, we can go to the bank on it, not just with a penny, but with a million dollars, right? Like, if God says it, either in his word or in a prophetic, or in a prophetic word to us, we can, we can cling to that. We can count on it. And this is why declarations are so important. Because sometimes God's word and the truth of God's word doesn't always line up with our current reality, Right? And so one of the lies that the enemy likes to bring that is this. If it's delayed or it doesn't happen in the time frame that I think it should happen, that must mean that God isn't good. Are you with me? And he will get you to doubt the goodness of God simply by delay. And that's one of the things we have to fight. We have to literally say, God, I don't understand the timing, but I'm not going to let go that you are good. And that you are good all the time. I may not understand it. Your clock and my clock may not be, uh, you know, exactly the same as what I think. But it's interesting, isn't it? If you look at all these 13 core values that we have on the wall, it's very purposeful that we put God is good the first one. Because if you are not convinced that God is good all the time, none of this will make sense. None of it will work. We have to get into our spirit that God is good all the time. If you got a bum knee, 
if you've got uh, financial problems, if you don't have a job, if these kind of things are going on, those are not uh, proof positive that God is not good somehow. It actually gives us the opportunity to trust his goodness even when it's not apparent. Which actually brings us to the second enemy of the truth that God is good, is that oftentimes overwhelming situations with no apparent way out, with no apparent way out can make us doubt his goodness. Have you ever been into a situation in your life and you're up against it, as they say? And you're like, God, where are you? Cricket, cricket. Cricket, <laughs> you know, like, what? and you're asking God, and sometimes the most desperate times you cry out to God, and it's like he's silent, like he's forgotten, like somehow, you know, where are you, God? I am fully human, in case you're wondering. I'm not God. I don't have all the answers. But I do have his word. And in his word, I can find truths and stories, and the, the stuff to live my life with that I'm not going to find in my own circumstances, that I'm not going to find in my situations, and I'm certainly not going to find them in my feelings. See, I, I love that we're a church that we have feelings. You know, you go to some churches, and they worship, and it's like, you know, you ever seen the choir members do this with their hand? Oh, they sing, you know, like, like there's some churches where we just sing. And it's, it's nice. And that's fine. Hymns and different songs and whatever. But how many of you know, like, we get to experience God. And we actually want to experience God. Like, Jesus, when he was overwhelmed with sadness over Jerusalem, it says what? Or with, with, when his friend uh, Lazarus was dead, it says what? Jesus wept. It says he looked over Jerusalem and he had sorrow. And, and, and so Jesus has joy. He has all these emotions. Experience and feelings are a part of it. Don't get me wrong. But we cannot give feelings a place of priority over the truth and the promises of who God says he is. It is vital that we get that into our spirit because if not, remember Jody with the motion she was making? This will be your life. It'll be waves of here. Oh, it's happy, joy, joy. Oh, sadness, sadness, sadness. And somehow God is real when I'm happy and everything's going good. And somehow when I'm having a rough time or I'm sad, all of a sudden God isn't there anymore. God is the same regardless of what we go through life. And it is imperative that we learn to, do, to, to handle this truth in the right way. Otherwise, as it says in Ephesians, we will be like infants. We'll just be tossed from one wave back to the other. Right? How many of you know that the greater the truth within me, the greater the reality of my situations comes outside of me? In other words, if, I'm, if I understand God is good on the inside, then it doesn't really matter what happens on the outside. Because I know rock solid God is good. Overwhelming situations with no apparent way out. Uh, Chronicles chapter 2. Second Chronicles was 20. We're going to run through this as fast as we can this morning. But I really felt like God was, uh, a couple weeks back, brought me to this passage. And uh, not wanting to drag our 13 weeks into 27 or whatever, we're going to hit this pretty quick this morning. But Second Chronicles chapter 20, we find that the Israelites are once again in a difficult situation. Oftentimes, as you read the Old Testament, the nation of Israel would get in rough situations because they had turned to idols. 
Because they had turned away from God, then some bad things began to happen. Which makes sense, right? If I'm not following God and bad things happen, we can go, well, it's because I'm not following God. That one makes sense to our mind. But what happens when bad things happen to a king and a nation that are actually going after God? Now that one doesn't make as much sense, does it? See, because King Jehoshaphat is a good king. He actually loves the Lord. He actually wants good things to happen for Israel, and he's not pursuing idol worship. But all of a sudden, in chapter 20 here, they find that three nations that are enemies of Israel have actually come together in power and are coming to invade Israel. And it's overwhelming. It's a huge, huge force. And so we pick up the story in verse 3. It says this of 2 Chronicles chapter 20. It says in verse 3, Jehoshaphat, the king, was afraid. Anybody ever been afraid? If you're the king and you have a, a smaller nation and three larger nations are all together against you, I think, I think fear and being afraid was a natural response. But it's interesting. It says this, Jehoshaphat was afraid and turned his attention. In one version it says, set his face to seek the Lord, and proclaimed a fast throughout all Judah. Verse 4, so Judah gathered together to seek, him, to seek help from the Lord. They even came from all the cities of Judah to seek the Lord. <laughs> I believe it's okay to be afraid and overwhelmed at times with the natural situations, right? Many of you know, like, you get that call about this loved one or friend that's been in a car accident and they're in the hospital and it doesn't look good. Or you get a call and something has happened and, or maybe, uh, you know, some huge bills come in one after the other and you're about to go under financially. Like, there are times in lives where we just, like, we want to scream out, what in the world just happened? But it's so powerful, isn't it? Jehoshaphat is afraid, it says. He has fear. But instead of living in fear, he actually turns his face to seek God. And I would just recommend, like, one of the things that is powerful, if you're in an overwhelming situation, number one, don't be afraid to seek the Lord. Don't be afraid to go after God. And number two, don't be afraid to fast. We talk about this around here on a somewhat regular basis, that there's power in fasting. There's a phrase I like to use that, that uh, things happen when we pray that don't happen when we don't pray. Right? In other words, if something's happening, you pray, you know, but fasting's the same way. Like, things happen when I fast, and fasting means not eating, simple. Things happen when I fast that don't happen when I don't fast. In other words, it actually takes it up a notch. Your prayers will go up a notch if you will couple it with not eating. Again, I'm not God. Don't ask me to explain the spiritual thing of this. I don't know. Other than this, the Bible teaches it, and in my own life, I found it to be true. Amen? So Jehoshaphat obviously wants this to be true as well because he declares a, a nationwide fast to come and seek the Lord and, and let's not eat together as we pray. Ephesians 4, 6 in the New Testament, very familiar passage, it says, Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. You know, it's a powerful thing, isn't it? When I choose to not be anxious, but turn to God, with thanksgiving and prayer. Again, this is that declaration thing. I get to declare something ahead of time before it actually happens, and it brings power 
to my life. I would encourage you to do this. Be settled in your situation. Be settled. How many of you don't, I want you to say anything, but how many of you would raise your hand this morning and say, you're in a potentially troubling situation? There's something going on and it's, it's, it's overwhelming. Anybody like that? Anybody else? Back here, back here, back here. Okay, so we got these things. Some people need jobs. Some people, you know, it's family situations, health, different things. I would encourage you to do this this morning. Follow the, the thinking and the reasoning of the children of Israel and the King Jehoshaphat here. Second Chronicles 20, verse 12 through 13. They come together and they begin to pray. And in verse 12, we pick up the story and they begin to pray. And it says this, Oh, our God, will you not judge them? In other words, will you not handle these three nations coming against us? Will you not bring your power and judgment against these enemies of your people? Do your things, but they're saying. For we are powerless before this great multitude who are coming against us, nor do we know what to do. That's a pretty good uh, confession right there, isn't it? Like, like sometimes we just need to come to the point where we say, God, I'm, anybody ever tried to fix your own problems? Anybody ever do that? You ever try to fix your own problems? Man, I, okay. So my wife, sometimes, my wife will sometimes come to me and she'll be, have a problem. There'll be something that's troubling her and she'll, and again, Men are, was it Mar- men are from Mars, women are from Venus, or whatever. Like, men and women are in two different planets. Like, most men, when their wife starts to tell them the things that are troubling her or having things, what does the man do? Oh, I got to do this and this and this and this. Bing, problem solved. Let's go have supper. You know, like, like, like we just feel like we can fix, 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 right? Whereas, what, is, what do women mostly want when they're telling their husbands that there's a problem of some kind? What do they want? Tell me I'm pretty. Okay. <laughs> listen. Shut your, shut, as we say in my phone, shut your pie hole and listen, right? Just zip it and just listen, right? Because sometimes we just need to express the thing that's the truth, right? And I love this. They go to God and they say, Lord, we're powerless. <laughs> I got nothing. I got nothing. I can't, we can't fix our own problems. We don't know what we're doing. God, just, I just need to pour this out to you and tell you how I feel and what's going on. How do you think that a good father, a God that is good, is going to listen to you? He's not going to reach down from heaven and go, zip it. You know, like, you know, he's not going to tell you that. No, he actually wants you to pour your heart out to him. He actually wants you to tell him your frustrations and your pain and all this stuff. You don't believe me? Do you realize that the Psalms, there's 150 Psalms, a good portion of them are David's. And I don't know if you've read them recently, but almost all of them, like, that's right, any emotion you're feeling, you can find a psalm, right? Any problem you're going through, you can find a psalm. Almost any of them will fit in in different situations. But it's interesting because David will literally pour out his frustration and his pain and his sorrow and all this stuff before God. And almost every single one, by by the last verse in that particular psalm, yet will I praise you. Like, in other words, God is, is okay for us pouring our heart out on him and telling him our situation. How many of you know he probably already knows right where you're at? <laughs> right? He probably already is pretty much aware <laughs> that you're going through this thing. And yet, what do they do? They say, God, we're, 
we're overwhelmed. Did you see all these guys? It's like this huge force arrayed against us. We don't have no idea what to do. We have no idea, you know, of the, how to resolve this. But then what does it say? It says, we don't know what to do, but our eyes are on you. See, God is good is another way of saying, God, I don't understand what's going on in this situation. I don't get it. I'm overwhelmed. I got unsaved loved ones that I've been praying for for years. They're not coming to Christ. I've got a job situation that's horrible in this and, you know, whatever, family, kids. But my eyes are on you. See, God is good truth gives us the opportunity, even in the difficult seasons of life, to let our words say, you're good. My eyes are on you, God. I'm not going to be able to fix this one. I actually need you to, to do this powerful thing. My eyes are on you. And so all Judah was standing before the Lord, I love this, with their infants, their wives, and their children. You know, we talked before about this community, this culture that actually is a family, right? And I love that. You don't see that verse, that thing very often. But you know what they were saying? Hey, God, we're in this together. Because what you do with me actually affects my family. What you do in me and my truth towards you actually affects my wife, my kids, and even the infants. See, if we don't have solid in our spirit, God, you're good regardless of what's going on. And if your children and your wives and your husbands don't see you turning to God, then they're not going to be very likely to see that God is good either, are they? What's the old phrase? They say this. Kids will look at adults and they'd say, I'd rather see a sermon than hear one any day. See, if we have solid in us that God is good, then I get to, as you say, flesh it out with my flesh and blood. People at your job, if you have a solid God is good in you, then you get to just walk in that and people around you that know your situation, that know your trouble, they actually get to see what God looks like through how you handle your situation. What a powerful message did King Jehoshaphat and the leadership of Israel send to all the people when they said, listen, we're overwhelmed. We don't know what we're doing. But tell you what, God, we're going to put our eyes on you. We're going to trust you. And how many of you know that God said, that's great. But you guys still have to fix your own problems. Did he say that? How many of you know that when we turn to God and we give him place to move, he actually will move. <laughs> we actually can trust that he's going to do the things he said he would do. And it's powerful. And I wish we had more time this morning to talk about declarations. But you realize declarations is actually that. It is. You say, hey, God, I got a bum hip. You're my healer. And you wake up the next day and you still got a bum hip. You're my healer. <laughs> right? God, I don't have a lot of money in my bank account, and I got more bills than I do uh, checks in my checkbook. You're Jehovah Jireh, my provider. I need a job, and I don't have one. You're Jehovah Jireh, my provider. And every day I get to get up and say, God, you're good, and you have good plans for me and good purposes for me. And even if they don't happen on Monday, I'm believing for Tuesday. If they don't happen on Tuesday, I'm believing you for Wednesday. If they don't happen Wednesday, I'm believing you for Thursday. And we never, ever, ever change the channel from God is good. Because I will tell you this. It may take days. Sorry. 
It may take minutes. It may take hours. It may take days. It may take months. It may take years. But if we will declare God's goodness over every situation that presents itself before us, we can trust that God knows what he's doing, and in his perfect timing, that thing is actually going to break and bow to the will of the mighty God. Amen? Because what's the, what's the alternative? Yeah. What's the alternative? You turn from his goodness, and then what's the alternative? Well, he loves that person more than he loves me because they have money and I don't. Or that person over there, you must love them more than you love me because you healed their body and my body is still sick. You know what that is? That's an orphan spirit. And that is not <laughs> the good, good father that we're his sons and daughters. Right? So they go to God and they say, Lord, we don't know what to do. We're, our eyes are on you. All our kids and families and everybody is standing before the Lord, right? Jump down to verse 14. It says, Then in the midst of the assembly, the Spirit of the Lord came upon Jehaziel. Then it describes him for a little bit. And then it goes on and he says, And he said this, Listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, Thus says the Lord to you, do not fear or be dismayed because of this great multitude, for the battle is not yours, but God's. <laughs> now again, <laughs> just don't look at your clocks. I'm going to go way over today. Just bear with me, all right? Love you. And, uh, but I think there's something that God has for us here. For the longest time, I read Scripture as a good Bible-believing Christian. I was even Pentecostal. I spoke in tongues. I'd been around all this stuff for a long time. But you know what I was never around for most of my growing up? Was the prophetic. We didn't have prophets. We didn't have prophetic words. We didn't have all this. And so I read the Bible, and I would read a verse like this, and I would just kind of skim right over it. Right? Oh, yeah, prophets, that's really good. <laughs> Old Testament, you know, blah, blah, blah. But as we begin to, what we focus on becomes our reality. Would you agree? So if I begin to think, God, I need more prophetic in my life. I need your word, your, right, your now word in my life. All of a sudden, read your Bible, and it will be different. All of a sudden, there's prophetic words everywhere, and stuff is just popping off the pages at me. And I, you know, so I was, went back and read this uh, chapter again over the last couple of years, but in, even this week, God just popped it out into my mind again. What happens? They're seeking him for a problem. They're going after him. They're saying we're... We don't have any, in our own power, we can't do anything. God says, all right. Hey, listen, I'm going to give you a prophetic word through a person in the midst of your assembly, of you meeting together. I'm actually going to have someone give a word from me to you for your situation. How powerful is that? See, this is why, like even today, as we're closing up today, if you need a prophetic word over your situation, I want you to come. We're going to take a little time. We've got some people that will do this for you. Because at times when we're in a difficult thing, we actually need not just the Word of God, but the Word of God. You see, God isn't just in your Bible. He's actually in the prophets. He's actually in the prophetic atmosphere. And us, the Bible actually says, I would that you would all prophesy. Why would he say something like that if he didn't want us to all prophesy, right? 
Have you ever had a prophetic word from somebody that is not only profound, but like God just reaches down and squeezes your heart. You know what I mean? Like it literally is so powerful. It's like God just says, I'm good, and here I come, right? See, I think that oftentimes we can fall into the habit of reading the Word of God and saying that's good, but not coming into agreement with the Spirit behind it. See, revival isn't just a revival when things come because we have more of the Word of God. Actually, it's the Word of God and the Spirit working together. And so the Word of God and the Spirit working together, the Word comes through this prophet Jehaziel, and he says, listen, all Judah and the inhabitants of Jerusalem and King Jehoshaphat, now mind you, we don't know what kind of prophet he is, but he's speaking to the king, man. He's speaking to the king. He's speaking to all the leaders. He's speaking to the whole whole tribe, the whole nation. And he says, this is what God says to you regarding this specific situation. Can I tell you something today? God wants to speak to you, to your specific situation. He's not just good to the person next to you. He's actually good to you. Right? He's not just a good, good father, you know, to somebody else's family. He's a good, good father to you and your family, man. And it is so vital that we get that. And so, <laughs> goes on to verse 16, and it says this. The prophet is still speaking. He says, tomorrow, go down against them. So take your smaller army and your people and march them down to where this massive army is situated. Go down against them. Behold, they will come up by the, by the ascent of Ziz, and you will find them at the end of the valley in front of the wilderness of Jeru- Jeruel. Verse 17. You need not fight in this battle. Station yourselves. Stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf, O Judah and Jerusalem. Do not fear or be dismayed. Tomorrow go out to face them, for the Lord is with you. I don't know where you are and what situation you're facing, but if you're in a difficult spot, this should be your life verse. This is a verse. These two verses are are beyond our human nature. How many of you are fixers? I know most of the men are, but are there some women that are fixers too? And you get in that situation, and we, we got to do this, we got to do this, we got to do this. You know, I think there's time for action. Don't get me wrong. But I think more often than not, we act when we should be standing. More often, we start doing a bunch of stuff when God is saying, hey, listen, I got this one. All you have to do is stand. Did you catch that? He says, Stand. Let me do my thing. Pretty goes beyond even saying, but if you or God is going to fix a problem, who's generally going to fix it better? (laughs) Right? That's kind of a no-brainer, isn't it? Like if the almighty creator of heaven and earth is going to come up against your problem, and on the other side it's you coming up against your problem, which one is going to be more spectacular, right? More epic, more amazing. It's going to be him, of course. He says, you need not fight in this battle. Station yourselves. It actually means to, you know, kind of get your stuff together. And, and, and then it says what? Stand and see the salvation of the Lord on your behalf. See, if God is good, 
He really does want to come through for you. He really does want your situation to bow to his goodness and his greatness. Hmm. Verse 21, when he had, I'm sorry, verse 20, they rose early in the morning and went out to the wilderness of Tekoa. And when they went out, Jehoshaphat stood and said, Listen to me, O Judah, and inhabitants of Jerusalem. Put your trust in the Lord your God, and you will be established. That's a powerful word, isn't it? Established. Right? And that word is a bigger word just having to do with, with all of his goodness and, 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 and being solid and being secure and being provided for to be established. Right? He says, put your trust in his prophets <laughs> and succeed. Isn't that amazing? Again, as a kid and as I was younger, I just missed this kind of thing. Like he's actually telling you to trust the prophetic word that is spoken over you. As many of you know, I have a book. Well, I'm actually almost on to my third one now. It's a leather-bound journal with blank pages that as we began this journey of the supernatural and the hedgehog and all of that, some of you know the story, I began to write down the prophecies and the promises. And not only, like some of the struggles and some of that stuff too, but primarily I've reserved this book for the different prophecies that have been spoken Sometimes they're drawn. Sometimes it's artwork that I've copied and put in there. Some, you know, just all of the prophetic things and revelations that God has given either you guys or myself on this journey. And I filled up two full journals of it, and I'm almost on. I just had to go out and buy a new one the other day. Why is that important? See, just like in the Bible, there's no empty words. This is the Word of God. It's the living Word of God. It's the truth, right? God doesn't waste words. in your, Whatever you read in your Bible, you can count that it's in there for a reason. But can I also say prophetic words are the same way? He's not wasting his time using somebody else's prophetic gift to speak into your life for no reason. You know? I was listening to uh, Steve Backlund this week. This is the guy with the declarations I was talking about. And he was talking about how God spoke to him on an, on an earlier time in his life. And God spoke to him and said this, you're going to be a voice, I'm, I'm, I'm condensing it here, but you're going to be a voice to the nations. You know, at the time he was pastoring a tiny little church in the desert in Nevada. And God says, listen, you're going you're gonna, to you're gonna be a voice to speak to the nations. How many of you know if you're pastoring a little church and you're struggling out in the desert of Nevada, you get a prophetic word that says, hey, you're going to have global and international influence? What's your first thought? I didn't hear from God. <laughs> you know, like, like you, sometimes God's goodness is so awesome that it's hard to even comprehend the plans and purposes that he has for us. But you know what he did? He wrote it down. And he hung on to it. And a few years later, I think it was Within 10 years, he's actually one of the senior leaders at Bethel in Reading. And guess what? Steve Backlund has global and international influence to an unbelievable degree all, all over this planet. You see, God's words are not empty. If God has given you a prophetic word of some kind about your family, about your situation, your husband, your wife, your kids, you can go to the bank on it. And it's interesting. He says this, put your trust in his prophets and succeed. The prophetic word was, stand and I'll deliver you. Now you can trust that, okay? 
And we'll pick up the pace here a little bit. Verse 21, it says, When he had consulted with the people, he appointed those who sang to the Lord and those who praised him in holy attire. And as they went out, <laughs> are you following me? As they went out praising before the army and said, Give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. I want to close with this today. It is not an accident when we see in scriptures that the worshipers are in front of the army. See, oftentimes in our own mind we think the army should be out front getting the victory, and then what? The praisers come behind going, thank you, Lord, for all you did. <laughs> You're amazing. This victory was awesome. I don't know why I went to the high-pitched voice on the worship thing, but that's like, oh, you know, maybe we're just excited, right? See, in our understanding, the army should be out front whacking away and getting the victory for the Lord, right? And the worshipers should come behind going, whoop, whoop, God is good. Look what he did. Look at all them dead guys, you know, like, like whoop. But he doesn't do that. And we find this several times in scriptures that the worshipers were actually put out front. And then he says what? Thanksgiving. Give thanks to the Lord. I would encourage you today, if you're in a difficult spot, to begin to thank the Lord for his victory before it ever happens. Get out in front of it, folks. It's time to quit reacting to what the world brings against us and start getting out in front of it. Like, what's the word? Being proactive. You want victory in an area of your life? Why don't you get out in front and start thanking God and declaring his goodness in that situation before it ever happens? See, I, I've started this in my own life. I, I'm, I'm thanking God for what he's going to do in my kids. I'm... <laughs> I'm thanking God for what he's going to do in my finances. I'm thanking God for what he's going to do in this church and our regional influence. Like, look around you. we got a few empty chairs, right? We could use a few more people. But how many of you know to wait for the people to come to thank God is actually backwards? See, the kingdom of God is not normal. You're not supposed to uh, tithe when you get your money. What do we do? We tithe before the money, right? We give before it. We plant seeds before the harvest comes. Wow, it just got quiet when I started talking about money again. Would you stop that? That's the same thing. Amen. Let's get out in front of the stuff. Get out in front of the battle. And God is very purposeful. Again, no empty words. This story is not just accidentally in here. He says, listen, get the worshipers out in front, praising him with their holy attire, and then say this, give thanks to the Lord for his loving kindness is everlasting. Can I ask you a question? Had anything changed up to this point in their situation? Was there still a massive three-country army sitting out there waiting for them? To send a bunch of guys out in tambourines and, uh, you know, ukuleles or whatever, you know, like, like to send them guys out first is like, um, they're going to get slaughtered, man. This is, this is going to be ugly. But you see, and again, God is good. <laughs> if if God is really good, how many of you know his plan is good? Oh. Folks, we got to quit thinking like humans. We do. We got to start thinking like saints. We got to start thinking like sons and daughters of a father who really does know what's best for us. And if he says thank him ahead of time before anything changes, by all means, we should do that. <laughs> Whew, I just might start preaching here in a minute. All right. 
So let's wrap up the story. They go out, give thanks to the Lord. You know, <laughs> this is funny. The other day I was having trouble with Susie and her attitude, and she was kind of being a stink. I know, it's hard to believe. One of my kids not being perfect. I know. But she was doing this thing, and I said, Susie, I want you to go and make a list of 25 things you're thankful for. <laughs> do you get the feeling she didn't want to maybe possibly do that? Like, she's looking at me like, you remember kids look at you like you have a third eye in the middle of your forehead, and you're like, what kind of a freak are you? Like, like, but I knew that in her spirit, she had kind of replaced the order of things. And I said, Susie, I think we're struggling in some of this stuff because we need to focus on what, not what we don't have, but on what we do have. See, Bill Johnson has a great quote. He says that we shouldn't ever focus on what God isn't doing. We should focus on what God is doing. Even if it's the tiniest little thing to be thankful for. To praise him in that. You know, whew, man, I'm telling you, it's a powerful thing. So she wrote down 25 things. Number one, awesome dad. All right. I've trained her well. A close second was an awesome mom. I was the one making her do it after all. You know, she kind of felt compelled. But anyway, uh, number eight was uh, one of the brothers and sisters. Number 12 was another one. 21 was another one. So obviously, that was where we were having some issues. But, but you know, it's interesting. She began to thank God for just funny things, different things, things I never would have thought of. You see, when you thank God for your stuff before it happens, you get to just be you. Your words are powerful to the good, good Father. Your words, and from your heart, really have, have meaning to him. As I was reading the list that she wrote, I, was, I kept thinking, wow, this is, this is really good. God, thank you for doing something in my daughter, but a bunch of stuff on the list was just, I thought it was silly. But I didn't even know it was real for her. And as a good father, I'm like, wow, that's, that's really good, honey. I'm so thankful that God's working at your heart in that way. Graham Cook, some of you know him, in his book, Crafted Prayer, he says this, Gratitude is the bedrock of our life and worship. Did you catch that? Gratitude is the bedrock. It is the thing, the foundation that we must have in our life and worship. Often we will fail to worship during the week, thinking Sundays or conferences are our time to worship. But worship is a part of everyday life. When we come before God, we must be thankful. We need to practice being grateful. We need to practice being grateful a lot more than we do. What are Christians supposed to sound like on earth? This is really important, isn't it? Can I ask you a question? On your job, in your circle of influence, do people find you to be grateful and thankful? You know? See, sometimes Christians can actually portray the opposite. They complain about stuff. Or we're critical about stuff. I'm so thankful that I don't have the feeling in this church that you go home and have filet pastor on Sunday afternoons. <laughs> I, 
I've been, I've been there, you know. Like, I've been in certain churches and situations where, like, you know, people go home and they just like, <laughs> they're just chewing out the pastor in front of their kids and over lunch, you know. They're just talking about all the, all the, just, all the flaws and all that stuff. See, how many of you know that, that if we actually are grateful for something, we actually speak life into it? And it, you know, doesn't have to be perfect. Like, I looked at my daughter's list and I'm going, well, that's not a, I don't think that's a perfect list. But guess what? It actually was. <laughs> it was from her heart. See, if we're thankful and if people around us see us as thankful, if our family sees us as grateful for what God has given us and what he's doing, that is immense power in that. <laughs> we need to practice being grateful a lot more than, than we do. What are Christians supposed to sound like on earth? Our voices should be heard at all times worshiping God. If our worship is built on a foundation of thankfulness, we must have a vision and a passion to be grateful. And again, that's Graham Cook. Any of his teaching you'll find to be very powerful. All right, so let's wrap this up. Verse 22, when they began singing and praising, again, before the victory, before anything had happened, the Lord set ambushes against the son of, sons of Ammon, Moab, and Mount Seir, these three nations, who had come against Judah. So they were routed. For the sons of Ammon and Moab rose up against the inhabitants of Mount Sur, destroying them completely. And when they had finished with the inhabitants of Sur, they turned on each other and destroyed one another. <laughs> I just think the way God does things is really funny sometimes. So you find these three nations turn on each other and begin to destroy each other. So much so that in verse 24, when Judah came to the lookout of the wilderness, they looked down toward the multitude, and behold, there were corpses lying on the ground, and no one had escaped. See, it's powerful. When they thanked and praised him ahead of time, the way he said, they listened to the prophetic voice, and they obeyed God, and they fasted, and they prayed, and they trusted him and all that stuff, and his goodness, they come over the ridge. And where they expected to find the enemy in his power, and his destructive capabilities, they actually found corpses. They were all dead. You've heard me say this before, but sometimes I just want to strap on my sandals and jump back a couple thousand years and be in this story. Would you have loved to have been on that lookout as you come marching up and you got the praisers going and the worship and the tambourines and the ukuleles and everything, and they're coming up over the ridge and you come and you go... No way! Did you, can you see, like, can you imagine the joy and the, and, you know, just the, I mean, they were jumping. I'm just saying, they were jumping. There was a few cartwheels. I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. And they had skirts on, so they are just like weird doing cartwheels and all kind of stuff. Like, it was, can you imagine the joy? Oh, see, God is good. He really is good. <laughs> They come over it. They see what they shouldn't be seeing. All these dead things were, they thought they were going to find the live enemy. In verse 25, when Jehoshaphat and his people came to take their spoil, in other words, in those days when another army would conquer another army, there was all the spoils of war, they call it, you know, all the silver and gold and, and food and everything else, all of the good stuff. When they come to take their spoil, they found much among them, including goods, garments, and valuable things, which they took for themselves, more than they could carry. And they were three days taking the spoil because there was so much. 
God is good. He's so good that he overwhelms us with his goodness. Can you imagine how much spoil there was for the whole nation of Israel to have to go out and for three days it took them to grab all the good stuff and bring it back? Two things. One, it shows you how big the enemy was. That army had to have been huge. Three days they had to take the spoils back. So much so that it literally impacted the geography of Israel. Look at the next verse. Then on the fourth day they assembled in the valley of Barak. For, they were ble- for there, there they blessed the Lord. Therefore they named that place the valley of Baraka until today. Do you know it's still there in Israel today? They still call it that. The valley of blessing is called. It's a valley of favor. God was so powerful in his coming through and his goodness that it literally changed the name of the geography of that place. You talk about having a regional impact, right? You talk about having, uh, you know, we talk about, a, you know, a revival thing that happens in the region. Like, like, you can't even say the word Bethel or Redding without people knowing what we're talking about, right? They've literally changed the landscape of California for so many people. You see, God wants to do the same thing here. Three days of blessing and favor. Three days of them bringing in the spoils. So much so that it literally changed the name. It changed the landscape. It changed the whole region. How many believe that he's still the same yesterday, today, and forever? Why don't you stand to your feet this morning? See, I believe that God wants to create a legacy. <laughs> I, uh, I have a dream. I've had it for quite a while, actually. I've had a dream for quite a while now that when people say the word Gurney or Epicenter Church, they literally are speaking to something that is huge. Like, in other words, they say this like, oh, Gurney, wow, that is so awesome what God is doing there, right? Epicenter, can you bring that down just a little bit, Aaron? Epicenter Church, oh, yeah, I heard about that place. I heard about what God is doing there, man. That whole northern Illinois, Wisconsin, you know, region, man, I'm telling you what, God is doing some things, and he's bringing the churches together, and there's this power, and there's anointing, and, and literally to change the way people speak the name of Gurney, to have such a profound impact not only on us, but our city, Round Lake, Grays Lake, Zion, Waukegan, this whole region, that God will actually change how people speak our name. I don't know about you, but I'm for that. Why don't you lift your hands with me this morning as we pray. I want you just to declare, I want you to start off by just declaring God is good. And, I, and again, we're not going to do this in a, in a together way. We're going to do it together, but I want it to be unique to you. I want you to first speak the words, God is good, into your own spirit. And just to begin to declare some of the good things of his goodness. Father, you're good because you care about everything in our lives. And just with your own words, just begin, like just almost a cacophony of praise, just begin to speak it out, your situation. God, you are good over my finances. You are good over my children. And just in your own words, just begin to express and declare his goodness. For many of you, it's going to be before the battle is won. 
before the corpses of the enemy are laid on the ground, you are going to declare his faithfulness. So, Father, right now we do that. We begin to thank you in advance for what you're doing in our children's lives. Father, in the sons and the daughters that are represented here, we just declare and thank you in advance for the supernatural power in their lives, for hearts that are transformed and changed. Father, in advance, we thank you for, for the, the, the goodness and the favor that you're going to show in our, in our, in our areas of, of finances and jobs, Father. Our bank accounts are going to begin to swell, Lord. We just declare that right now. Lord, the favor and the blessing from unexpected locations and places. Father, we thank you in advance for that. We declare your goodness even before we experience that reality. We thank you for it. Hallelujah. Just take a couple more seconds and just thank him in advance for the things in your life right now. Hallelujah. Thank you. Thank you, God. Thank you, God. And you know, I feel like God would say, just be specific. It's almost like he's waiting for us to declare it. He's, he's waiting. He's, he's waiting for us to move first before he does. So just be specific. Just declare it. And don't be afraid. Don't come as an orphan. Don't come as, a, as, a, as one who lives on the streets. You're in the palace. You're sons and daughters today. Ask the Father for what you need. Ask him and thank him in advance for his provision today. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Thank you, Jesus. So, Lord, we thank you for that today. You're, you're a good God. Father, we just declare it and thank you for it. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. That's right. Patience tonight. There we go. All right. God is good. Amen. Hey, 